Macworld Podcast number 350 for April 10th, 2013. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. Increasingly, the iPad is found not just attached to recumbent bodies on a couch, but in business as well. With that in mind, Macworld, under the guidance of one of our guests, has introduced the iPad Office eBook. I'm joined by some of those who were involved in the project to discuss the business iPad. And we'll start by saying hello to Serenity Caldwell. Hello. Sholly McFarland. Hello. Dan Morin. Good day. And Joe Kissel. Hi there. So, uh, Ren, I'd like to start with you because uh, you were the person that spearheaded the project, put it all together, took everybody's tips and writing and threw them together. So, exactly what is the focus of this ebook if the title isn't clear enough? Well, the iPad Office is designed for people who are looking to use their iPad as maybe a little bit more than an entertainment device and who want to know how to, say, put together a presentation or use it to view spreadsheets or working on annotating PDFs, all the things that you might do during your day-to-day business life um, that you may not have known the iPad can do. These We're trying to give um, some nice how-tos and tips on how you can go about doing that and even how you can go about using Microsoft Office itself, using some virtualization software. Um, it started as a kind of a small little project. I wanted a... Uh, I wanted a series of articles that some of which we had written, some of which we hadn't for our next iBooks author feature. And so I pinged Sholly, who's also on this podcast, and I said, hey, uh, what kind of, you know, iPad businessy stories do you have? And she said, oh, well, let me tell you. And then just gave me this big, long list, um, at, at which point I'm like, wow, there's a lot of content here, and it could really make for a, a good iBooks author feature. So I spent the next couple of weeks putting that all together and adding, asking for my kind, kind contributors to add new videos and things like that. And I think it came out pretty well. Excellent. And this is an uh, iPad only title? This is, yes. Uh, we built it with Apple's iBook software, author software, uh, which means that you unfortunately have to target it just for the iPad. There's no iPhone version. Okay. Well, that, I think that's all right because I, I hear there are several of these devices out there in the wild. There are, in fact. It's amazing. Different sized iPads. Wow. Okay, well, since we have you on the line, um, what I want to do with this is rather than read a transcript of the book over the podcast, which I think would be fascinating, uh, is maybe just go around the virtual table and we can all talk about some of our favorite tips and tricks for an iPad when used in a, a business environment. So, Ren, why don't we start with you? Okay, well, I'll start with a, a tip that I actually use frequently while testing ebooks in my job at Macworld and how I tested the iPad Office book, uh, which is using Dropbox to really quickly get documents that you're working on on your computer over to your iPad where you can open them. Um, especially this is important for us when we're working on non-iBooks author titles. iBooks author has a cute little previewing thing where you can tether it to a USB cord and preview the book automatically. It just sends it from your Mac to the iPad. But if you're working on a regular old ebook that doesn't involve iBooks author, uh, the long way to go about doing it is to tether through Apple's books proofer software or to manually drag the, the file into through iTunes Connect and uh, wait for iTunes to upload the book title to your iPad. That's really slow. When I'm trying to check things, you know, little bit by little bit, I really want to see it almost instantly after I hit save. And the best way that I've found to go about doing that is actually working on an ebook file um, in my program of choice, Sigil. And as soon as I save that ebook file, I save it to my Dropbox. And from there, I can open it up immediately on my iPad in the Dropbox app. And the Dropbox app is really cool because not only does it let you view certain files automatically, but it lets you send your files to any other piece of software on your iPad. So for me, if I'm previewing an ebook, Dropbox itself won't view ebooks, but if I tap a button, it will send it immediately to iBooks so I can see exactly how it looks in iBooks. Or if I'm, sent, if I'm working on a Mobi file, I can see exactly how that Mobi file looks in the Kindle app. So it's pretty cool. I use that tip almost every single day. Okay. When we were putting together this list of tips, I think Dropbox came up for everybody. And, you know, I would grab one and everybody was like, no, no, I want to talk about Dropbox. So I think it's something we should all talk about. Um, Do we all use Dropbox simply because we all use Dropbox? 
Or is there an advantage of Dropbox over something like SugarSync or Box.net or one of these other cloud-based services? I think the biggest advantage to Dropbox is that almost every iPad app, except for Apple's, uh, supports it natively. I mean, if, if, uh, if an app supports only one cloud-based service, Dropbox is probably going to be the one. And because that because it's so close to being universal, it, it ends up being sort of de facto, you know, file system for iOS. Right. And I, and I think there are other benefits as well. For example, uh, one of the nice things about Dropbox compared to some other cloud services uh, like Google Drive, for example, is that it really does retain copies of things that you do on your various computers. So even if you're, you know, even if your laptop, you're on a plane or something, you can still work from Dropbox, you know, on your on your local computer because it can cache that information locally. So there, there's, you know, you can't necessarily do that as easily with something like Google Drive. It's 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 possible in some ways, but it's a lot trickier. And Dropbox, I think another big part of it, you know, that sort of plays into that is it's it's really well done. It's really simple. It doesn't take a lot of finagling with settings and what have you. It's just it's one of those things that it, it, to Apple's envy, perhaps it really does just work. Yeah, I mean, I have both of my parents up on Dropbox. And let me tell you, if my parents are adopting a technology, it means it has to be dead simple. I would I would second that. Um, I I think that one of the things that people really enjoy doing on the iPad is writing. It's a very distraction-free environment for writing. And um, it's Dropbox makes it even easier if you... Uh, want to do some writing, you can use a Dropbox-based uh, text editor. My favorite is plain text. And um, it just looks like a piece of paper. You write what you need to write. And then it's just invisibly, almost magically synced up to your Dropbox folder. And then you can get it wherever wherever you have access to your Dropbox folder. And that simplicity makes it so easy. I think most people, if they have to change any settings, if they have to do anything, it's just, it's too much. And Dropbox just makes everything easy. Well, since we're talking to iPad business users, do you guys have any general advice for the kinds of things that they should make sure that they have in Dropbox so that when they're out on the road, they can have access to um, to certain kinds of files? I would make sure you have all your work files up in Dropbox. Um, I do that anyway, just because it's sort of a easy backup method. If you have it in Dropbox, you know that there are redundant copies all over the place. You know that you'll always be able to get to those files. Um, you'll also always be able to share those files easily. That's one thing about Dropbox that I think a lot of people don't even notice, that um, if you're using Dropbox's mobile application on your iPad, you can look at your folders and then there's there will be a share link which is next to your folders and you click on that and you can really easily send somebody else a link to the file and share it. Um, that it, it just makes it so um, easy to get things wherever you need them to go with the, a very little amount of effort. Yeah, I, I second that. And there, there's another another thing that you should that everyone should have in, in their Dropbox. And I, I'm going to sort of, um, you know, st steal one of Chris's uh, topics from later on, which we, we might come back to later. But um, another another tool that pretty much everybody should use is One Password. And uh, you have an option with One Password to keep your your database of all of your passwords and, and logins, and and this can include you know any any sort of confidential information you like credit card numbers or or serial numbers or whatever you can keep that in your in your dropbox so that it syncs automatically across your mac pc iphone ipad whatever and it does all of that securely but the advantage of keeping it in your dropbox is that even if you go to some computer that is not your own that you don't have your own software on you can log into the dropbox website and open up your 1Password data there, and it has a, a sort of built-in JavaScript decryption engine, so you can enter your password. It's still it's still safely encrypted, but you can get at all of your stuff in a web browser from Dropbox, and that is a very, very handy thing to be able to do. Well, speaking of get, being able to get your uh, data in Dropbox, is anybody here concerned about security in Dropbox? 
Yeah, I occasionally think about that, and and there are some complications there. I mean, your your Dropbox obviously is uh, you know protected by passwords. You can turn on two factor authentication for it, which you should certainly do, um, which you can do via the Dropbox website. Um, there are potentially some current concerns if you're dealing in particular with very sensitive data. Uh, and you might be, you know, want to look into something like either if you can fit it into something small, um, you know, if it's just like a password or something and you're not using or and you're using something like one password or it's like, you know, some data that's very small. One password has the ability to add secure notes, I believe, which you can then is are that encrypted. So that could be an easy way to, to store securely store some critical data if it's you know smaller i think you can actually add files into it too but i, I don't know how uh, how accessible those are on your mobile device i think you can you can open them there i mean you could also do something like a secured uh, like a encrypted disk image but that's going to be a lot more problematic when it comes to dealing with something like an ios device yeah the weird thing about dropbox is that they they do encrypt all your data they use aes 256 and they use ssl to uh, encrypt it in transit but dropbox holds the encryption key so they're they're quite explicit in their uh, you know their privacy statement or whatever that um, if if the government comes a knocking or whoever you know if they are under some legal obligation they can and will um, hand over your private data. So even though it's it's encrypted and so it's safe from sort of casual you know snoops, it's not safe from Dropbox employees or or from somebody who has a legal who thinks they have a legal right to it. So. It, as you say, Dan, if if you use whether it's one password or something else to encrypt your data before you put it on Dropbox, that's fine. But you have to make sure that you have that same tool available on your other devices. So if I use, as, you know, to your example, uh, an encrypted disk image on my on my Mac, and I put that image on my um, my Dropbox, I can't open that on an iPhone or on a Windows machine or whatever. Um, there are also, as I've become increasingly aware, some some professions that are subject to certain kinds of privacy laws, you know, doctors, lawyers, whatever, people who um, are subject to HIPAA and so forth, that are, are legally forbidden from putting their data any place where they don't have physical control over it. So if, you know, even though it is encrypted in a sense, um, there, there are definitely limitations there. Okay, so if you are... Um international man or woman of mystery uh dropbox may not be the best solution for you but rather consider to put uh, the microfilm behind the brick uh four <laughs> rows down and six over in um, leningrad um dan morin why don't we uh, go on with you well one, one thing i found that when i did some uh, i spent some time working from my ipad alone which was uh, the basis of a piece that got included in our new uh ebook uh was that it's tricky to, because the iOS devices are set up to be very much monotasking device, you're doing one thing at a time. Um, it can be a pain to switch back and forth between applications, especially when you're using the default iOS setup, which is double-click the home button, find the app in that little tray at the bottom, tap on it, and then do the same thing over again when you need to get back to the first app, You know, particularly if you have to copy and paste something between two apps. So a very uh, easy workaround for that on your iPad is to enable the multi-touch gestures, which you can do in settings. So I believe it's in the settings general section. Um, and what that does is lets you use these special four or five finger gestures that let you swap very quickly between apps. So if you if you swipe to the left using four fingers, you'll go into the previous app you're using, and then you can swipe back to the right to go back to that first app. You can also use it to bring up the multi-touch or the uh, multitasking tray at the bottom instead of doing a double click on the home button you can do a four finger swipe upwards to bring it up and and because it, it localizes that in the touch area as opposed to having to worry about where is the home button how is my ipad oriented it's very easy it's much more fluid in many ways and especially that ability to quickly switch back and forth between your you know your most previous previously used apps are is a heck of a time saver in my in my experience okay joe let's go on to you well, I want to uh, to follow uh, up with what Dan said. You know, the, the this whole thing of of your you, you can't do the sort of multitasking on an iPad that you can do on a Mac or on a Windows PC because you can only see one app on the screen at a time. And there are um, there are situations such as I think all of us encounter daily where we want to be able to like read something on a web page, do some research, and then write about that thing that we're reading about. 
Um, so there are a number of apps that, that let you do that. They have sort of built-in uh, multitasking of some sort where you can display a web page on one half of the screen and a notepad on the other or, or some other combination of tools. Um, one that I like very much is WriteUp. It's one of the, it's like, like plain text, it's a plain text Dropbox based text editor. So I can access the files in there and, and any, any, uh, any text editor, anything, any, any platform that uh, can connect to Dropbox. But it, one of the features it has is a built-in web browser. So especially if I have my iPad in landscape mode, I can have a web page open on one side and uh, a document open on the other side. And uh, that's that's a really handy thing to be able to do. And um, there are there are a number of apps like this, but they're they're relatively recent. A couple of years ago, you couldn't do that, um, and that's a that's a cool thing to be able to do. Um, I wanted to mention one other tip, um, which is uh, I, I don't do a lot of printing. I, I I think of the iPad as sort of a substitute for carrying paper around, so I don't do a lot of printing from the iPad. But I still want to commend uh, one of my favorite apps, which is Printopia. Um, so this is a Mac app. When you install it on your Mac, it makes any printer that you have either directly connected to your Mac or, or shared uh, on your local network available to all of your iOS devices. But that doesn't just mean that you can print from your iPad to whatever printer. It also means you can do things like save a PDF of whatever you're looking at to the desktop or to your Dropbox or to some other arbitrary location. Or you can say, well, I want this this image to go to iPhoto or I want this uh, web page to be saved as a PDF to DevonThink or something. So um, Printopia, as long as you are on your local network, so you have Wi-Fi access to the Mac that's running it, um, lets lets your iPad inherit a lot of a lot of cool capabilities for not only printing but also uh, saving and, and document conversion. Yeah, I I love Printopia. It's from Ecamm Networks. I can't recall what the price is, but I don't think it. I don't think it's more than twenty bucks. Um, Shali, when we started talking about this, you said, "Oh, I want to talk about external keyboards." So um, why don't you talk about external keyboards? Sure. Well, I think one of the biggest people questions people have when they want to use the iPad for more than um, casual use is what they're going to do about a keyboard. Because the on-screen keyboard works fine when you're typing in little things, but it's pretty hard to use if you really want to type. I know some people can do it. They're out there. Some of our staff are among them. But personally, uh, I can't do any real typing on the on-screen keyboard. Um, so a lot of people ask, can they use a keyboard? How do you do that? And the answer is you can, and that it's really quite simple. You can use any wireless Bluetooth keyboard with your iPad. And a lot of people already have one. Uh, the Apple's wireless keyboard comes standard with iMacs now. And that, if you have that already, is very simple to set up with your iPad. Many of the wireless keyboards special function keys will even work with the iPad. For instance, the volume and screen brightness controls. So if you already have one of those, you already have a simple solution for um, typing on your iPad with a real keyboard. But if you want to go a little further, you can get an I you can get a keyboard that's made for for use with the iPad. And these keyboards have special function keys that um, do even more. And that's important because these kind of keys reduce the number of times you have to touch the screen to do certain tasks. Um, keyboards made especially for use with the iPad will have things like uh, a button that will let you pop to the home screen or search, and some even have dedicated buttons to make typing easier. For instance, buttons for cut, copy, and paste. So if you want to go beyond Apple's wireless keyboard and have still an external big keyboard, nice, good feedback keyboard, uh, I would consider Logitech's $100 Bluetooth Easy Switch keyboard. It has a big selection of special function keys. It has really nice keys and they're backlit, which is nice if you're in dim light typing situations. Best of all, the keyboard can pair with up to three devices, which means you set it up so that you just push a button to switch between whatever's in front of you. For instance, your iPad, your Mac, and your iPhone. So that's a really nice other option if you want a big external keyboard. Uh, others have any favorite external keyboards? 
I think my I, I go with the classic. I really like my uh, my wireless Apple keyboard, especially with the origami. Who makes that? Is it in, it's not is it in case? I think it's in, in case. I believe. Yeah, in case makes a a really cool cover for the keyboard that also turns into a stand for your iPad, so that you can prop the iPad up properly while you're typing with the keyboard. And I really love that. And there are a bunch of different sleeves you can get to slip your wireless keyboard in. And some of them even have a little stand that's part of the sleeve. So that that's can be kind of cool, too. Um, however, you can go even farther with the keyboards. If portability is your main thing, if what you really want to do is be able to take your iPad, put it in your bag, go to the cafe and work, or use it as an alternative to a laptop when you travel... Um, there are the folio style iPad cases, and these are the full body cases that have a keyboard built into them, and they turn your iPad into sort of a little mini laptop. These, um, the keys on these are not as comfortable as the big external key keyboards, so you you give you get and you give with with this. You have to have some trade offs, but a lot of the the folio cases are really pretty pretty comfortable. Um, and I, I find them perfectly usable for long typing sessions. Um, some of the limits are that they are only as wide as your iPad is wide. So the, the keys are going to be a little more squished together. Most of them limit you to using your iPad in a landscape orientation. Um, so, but it's only most, not all of them. So that means if, if you would prefer to, to turn your iPad so you can, it really looks like a piece of paper, uh, that's something that you'll, you'll have to think about how important that is to you. Uh, one thing I will say, though, is most of these are really for the bigger iPads. You can get folio cases for the iPad minis, but unless you are a tiny, tiny person, I really would not recommend it because the keyboards for the iPad minis are itsy bitsy. You can barely fit your fingers on them. Or you could be a really big person with really tiny fingers. It's true. You could be with very, very tiny fingers. Um, Charlie, I know that you, you suffer from carpal tunnel. Um, so how do you deal with iPads? Do you, you, you take advantage of the dictation feature? Is there a particular keyboard you like using? Is an iPad a difficult device for you to type on? The strange thing for me is that the iPad is much, much better for me than a laptop. And the reason is the whole problem of the pointing device. I love the touchscreen aspect of the iPad. The part that hurts me when I'm typing with a regular computer is the pointing device, is the mouse or, or the um, trackball. So being able to use the touchscreen gets rid of that. Um, now, I wouldn't type on my just a flat iPad keyboard all day long because probably eventually I'd start having symptoms. But I found it's a lot more comfortable for me than a laptop is. And I think it's it's mostly because of using the touch screen instead of uh, a trackpad. I hate trackpads. I can't use them at all. I, I, I don't like the gestures. I don't like the clicking. I don't like the weird scrolling. I'm not into it. Not a laptop fan myself. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, there goes your Christmas present. <laughs> Should I talk about a couple of uh, folio keyboards? Yeah, go ahead. Just so people have those. Uh, two that I want to recommend are Logitech's $130 solar keyboard folio. That one's for iPad 2, 3, and 4. This one is great because it has um, solar panels on it that charge the, ca charge the keyboard, which means that you don't have to worry about dead batteries with your keyboard. It's very easy to leave these iPad keyboards on accidentally and run out of batteries. Um, and another one is a Donitz $80 Writer Plus for new iPad, and that's for the iPad 3 and 4. The thing that's cool about it is you actually can use your iPad in portrait orientation with it. You can also pop the, the keyboard out if you don't want to use the keyboard, or, for instance, if you want to hand your iPad to your children and you don't want them to mess with your keyboard. So those are two great options for people to look into. Excellent. Um, I'm going to offer a little something for the people in the world who are disorganized, as I am. Um, usually when I take my iPad or my computer on the road, the one thing I'm most afraid of is leaving something important on my computer at home. And I routinely do this, even though I try to be good about putting it in Dropbox or putting it somewhere else. Um, 
So what I tend to do is I leave my computer on at home and I make sure that I've got some kind of VNC tool running both on the Mac and also I have the client on my um, my iPad. And what I mean by this is this is a way to remotely control your computers if you're sitting in front of it. And there are various tools you can do this with. Um, iTeleport is one and that's $25. Splashtop Remote is $5. Um, there's another one called Screens, that's 20 bucks. Or you could use Log Me In, which is free. Um, using one of these tools, you can see your virtual screen at home. And then if you've left a document of some kind there, you can email it to yourself. You can put it in your Dropbox and then it becomes available to you. So again, if you're organized and you always carry the right stuff with you at all times, you may not need something like this. But for me, because I'm horribly unorganized, these tools have turned out to be a boon to me. Any of you use VNC tools? Oh yeah, I use uh, screens a lot, and I, I, I mean, let's, let's. I'll be honest. I use it sometimes for very lazy reasons, like I want to check something on my computer, and I'm sitting on my couch. But it's also <laughs> good for what Chris is saying. <laughs> There's a, a relatively new one called Air Sharing uh, from Avatron, and um, so you you install an app called Air Connect on your Mac, and you have Air Sharing on your uh, iPad. And um, what what makes it different from most of the other uh, screen sharing or you know VNC tools is that it it makes certain interface elements more easily tappable. For instance, instead of your, your menu bar ends up being sort of full size rather than shrunk down. Like you know if you have a, a really big display or a couple of displays, your menu bar can be shrunk down so small that you can't you can't really tap on anything or even sometimes read what the, what the choices are. So um, Air sharing separates out your menu bars so that uh, all the all the menus themselves and the commands on them are are full size, so your finger can actually uh, deal with them. And it also has a, a feature that's kind of like Expose that lets you uh, zoom any particular window or app to full screen on your iPad, and has some other stuff that that just makes it a lot sort of friendlier to interact with. Since Mac OS X isn't um, natively sort of designed for for touch screen uh, access. Uh, what this does is sort of superimposes some new uh, interface tools over that that makes it much easier to interact with on a touchscreen. Cool. Um, speaking of remote access, uh, Ren, I noted you wanted to talk something about um, remote office chatting. Yeah. Um, so last year I moved to Boston and I stopped being in the office. So remote office uh, chats and video conferencing became very important to me. Um, luckily, we have a couple of solutions here at Macworld that we use to chat with other people, one of which is Google Hangouts, uh, which does in fact have an iPad app, although it's a little trickier to use on the iPad uh, than on the computer. You actually have to be directly invited to something rather than being able to go to a specific URL because Google Hangout, the app doesn't quite allow that. Uh, but it's still pretty useful and you can use it over 3G. I think the first week that I was in Boston, I actually telecommuted in from a Red Sox game uh, over their 3G. They're very, very slow 3G network. Uh, so I was I was able to show everybody a little a little baseball while listening to numbers about uh about our our daily our weekly our weekly articles about the number uh, so of people attending baseball games during business hours yes uh surprisingly it's a possibility uh i we also use we also use apps uh like HipChat uh to coordinate stories and to keep in contact with everybody and they also have ipad and iphone equivalents so it's it's very nice to be able to you know if i'm out um if I'm out at a doctor's appointment or someplace where I can't be directly at my desk, I often carry my iPad around or my iPhone and just hop on those hop on those to make sure that I'm staying in the loop and that if anything uh, really important happens, I'm right there and can address it immediately. We'll return to our discussion after a word from this episode's sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace offers web design and hosting that anyone can use. You choose from one of their beautiful templates and plug in your own content. You can drag photos from your Mac right onto your Squarespace website, and they're uploaded automatically. And Squarespace sites are built to look great on any computer, with customized designs for iPhones, iPads, and other mobile devices. 
Macworld listeners can get a free trial of Squarespace with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash Macworld. Try it out and see how great the interface is for building your own website. If you decide to subscribe, after your trial, you can save 10% by entering in the offer code MACWORLD4 just below the pricing options. Again, it's squarespace.com slash MACWORLD for your free trial and offer code MACWORLD4, and that's MACWORLD followed by the number 4, to save 10% once you decide to sign up. Um, Dan Morin again. Well, uh, I was going to say a little bit. We talked uh, about security briefly. Um, and so one of the things I, I sort of offer as a tip that's, you know, something that you should probably be doing anyways, but I think is especially important if you're doing work stuff on your iOS device or I- iPad is to enable a passcode on your device. And so, you know, in its most basic form, this is a four-digit code that makes sure that nobody can unlock your iPad without knowing what it is. And that's a pretty good start. It also means all your data, uh, because of the way iOS is set up, is basically encrypted as long as somebody doesn't know that passcode. So it's not easy for them to necessarily just hook it up to their computer and grab everything. Um, That's pretty good. The step above that, which is also recommended if you've got stuff that you really feel like needs to be kept important, is there's a feature called, uh, I believe, you turn off the simple passcode feature under general security. And that means that instead of having just a four-digit code, you instead can have an whatever length you want password, just like you might have on your Mac or your email or what have you. That makes it a lot more difficult to crack. We did a a very good uh, piece a couple weeks ago on the website where uh, one of our contributors sort of explained how the ins and outs of how passcode security is. And he was the, the stats for me, was re- it was really uh, interesting in seeing just, just adding, you know, another character or two to your password makes it so much more difficult for somebody to guess because when you have just, you know, a finite four-digit password, there, there's a number of combinations. And in theory, you can keep trying them until you find the right one. And most people tend to use the same few. So... Having the ability to specify your own password, no matter what the length is, and use different characters, letters, and numbers, all that stuff, really increases the security of your device and means that people aren't going to go snooping into your files when you're on the go or if you leave your iPad somewhere. Okay, I'm going to dash into a sidebar here for a second that I wasn't planning to, but I think it's important to people who potentially want to use an iOS device in business, and they're not allowed to because the IT department says, sorry, iOS devices are not secure enough. One, do you think there's any truth to this? And two, if not, what do people who want to use iOS devices at work say to their IT department? What what kind of resources can they muster to say, no, it turns out, and then, you know, here's the evidence? Well, I mean, there's a couple things to look at. Uh, one is I think Apple makes available to uh, just publicly, uh, you might have to dig around a little bit to find it. Some of it's, you know, more technical white paper stuff that, uh, you know, ex- explain the security of its iOS devices. That might not be something that you're going to want to spend all your time going through and calling for details, but it's something that you could pass on to, say, a system administrator who is probably more versed in that, uh, and that might provide a more compelling argument. I, I don't think that they are inherently less secure than anything else. I think that's a, that is a misconception. Um, and in fact, more and more recently, as I said, the, the, everything on your iOS device is basically encrypted by default. Uh, and so you really, if you've encrypted, if you've used that passcode lock to secure your device, it really means that it's very hard to get access to the stuff that's on there. So I don't think that, you know, compared to say your average PC, which, you know, if we're going to talk about a whole different vector here, malware and is basically non-existent for iOS devices. So, you know, your, your desktop PC at work is far more vulnerable to that, even running its antivirus software than an iOS device is. Yeah, you know, an iPad is is certainly at least as secure as and probably much more secure than any other tablet device. When a company says we're, we're worried about this, I, I think most of the time what they really mean is we are worried about anything that we don't control. And it is true that some, uh, some companies deal in very you know, sensitive data and they don't want to run the risk that you know, some, some piece of information is going to get put on a device that can be taken outside the building and then they can't control it. There are tools that Apple provides for businesses that let them manage stuff on users' iPads and give them more control, but they require that the company actually learns how to use the tools and installs them and you know does does a bunch of stuff 
And so there, there will be some companies that push back because they just don't sort of want to go to that effort. But uh, if, if someone turns on, uses a really good passcode on their iPad, as Dan suggests, and if they use a VPN when communicating with their, their corporate network, which you know VPN software is built into iOS, so that, that should be really easy. Um, there is really very little real risk. Uh, the, the only risk is in, in sort of employee behavior, and that's something that you, that's always going to be a risk, and that, that's something there's no, no complete technological cure for. Okay. Um, Joe, why don't you go on with the tip then? Well, uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the stuff I wrote in, in this book had to do with editing Microsoft Office documents. Or, or those those sorts of things. So you know, Word files, Excel, and PowerPoint, and so on. And there are there are a bunch of ways you can do that on an iPad, and none of them is really perfect. Uh, you know, the the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of people is is Apple's iWork apps, and those are very very good. But the problem is that if you start with a Microsoft Word document, let's say, and you import that into Pages. It's probably going to lose some stuff in the process. It's probably going to lose some formatting at the at the very least, change tracking, some other things. And if you then mess with it in Pages and export it as Microsoft Word and give it back to somebody else to work on, uh, the more the more times you do this, the worse shape it's going to be. And it's not a, a sort of smooth way to share things back and forth with other people. So there are a number of Office suites uh, that that edit all these different sorts of documents, um, and what they tend to have in common, uh, there there are a couple of exceptions, but in in general, what they what they do is they have a uh, sort of do no harm policy. So even if this this particular Office suite doesn't have all the same tools that Microsoft Word does, even if it can't even display some of the content that Microsoft Word can generate, it it leaves whatever is in there alone. So that you bring it in, you do your thing with it on your iPad, and then you save it back to you know your Dropbox or wherever, and all that stuff that used to be in there is still in there. So the, the, the suite that I find uh, best of, of the available options is called Office Squared HD. And I, I've, I've had some feedback that people said, well, you know, I went onto the App Store and I looked at that and there's an awful lot of really bad reviews. And so how can you, how can you recommend this so highly? And all I can say is that it, it's a matter of expectations. If you expect this to be just like Microsoft Office, but on an iPad, then of course you'll be disappointed. It's missing a lot of features. Um, but if what you need to do is edit a document in Word or Excel format or whatever, and then give it back to somebody else so that they don't know the difference, they don't know that you were using some non-Microsoft product on an iPad, um, and it, it gets the job done, then then these should be quite fine for that. So although there, the book talks about various other options, I just want to throw out that sort of my, my favorite general purpose option for uh, losslessly uh, editing Microsoft Office documents on an iPad is Office Squared HD. Okay. Um, Shali, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about organizing the iPad's interface, which I think is a problem for a lot of people because they get you know, several dozen apps on there and they can't find anything. Yes, this is this is a really extremely basic tip, but I'm I'm really surprised by how many people don't know that you can create folders of apps on your iPad. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people miss. And doing that is a simple way to just keep things together that you're going to need to use at one time. So all you have to do is when you're looking at your, your iPad or your iPhone is press down the home button, everything starts to wiggle, and then you just take one app and you drag, it, drag its icon onto another, and you'll have a folder created where they're all grouped, grouped together. The great thing about that is when you click on that, you'll see the icons for all those um, apps. And that means if you're ready to do your work, there is everything you need all together. Since there is so there's so little uh, privacy or protection controls on the iPad, something that hopefully we're going to get some someday soon. This is uh, kind of as much as you can do to a certain extent to also protect your business apps from other people who are going to pick up your iPad, namely children which a lot of people are bringing their own iPad to work. It's really also a home device. And if you don't want your kids getting into your stuff, 
kind of a just a quick and dirty way is to have all your stuff that's just for you in a folder so that it's pushed to the side and not something that can be gotten into as easily. Excellent. You know, and I think uh, as a side tip to this one, I think this, I originally heard this from Tanya Angst at, at Tidbits, and that's where you create a folder and you drag it into the dock. And then you can swipe from page to page, adding things to that folder. So let's say you've got utilities scattered across screens 7, 8, 9, and 10. Instead of having to drag the folder or drag apps back and forth across screens, you simply swipe over, tap and hold on the app, drag it down into that folder in the dock. And then when you've got that full, you put it where you want it and then repeat that process for different kinds of uh, apps that you've got. Yeah, it's a great time saver. And especially if you have a lot of apps, which I think a lot of people do, it's the it's the beginning of getting some sort of hold over, over organizing all of that. Right. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about iPad presentations and what you should take with you on the road. Uh, because a lot of times your people are increasingly using the iPad for presentations instead of their laptop. And they'll haul their stuff in and they show up at the office and they've got a HDTV and they say, come on, plug her in and you don't have the right adapter and they don't have the right adapter. And so you have to show it on your iPad and you look like an idiot. So when you're packing your bag, take every single adapter you can think of, but specifically for presentations, you can get one of two different adapters, um, depending on the kind of connector you have at the bottom of your iPad. If you have a new iPad with a lightning connector, you would get the Lightning VGA adapter, and that's $49. Or you get the Lightning Digital AV adapter, actually, and you get take both of them, and that's also $49. So VGA will connect to most older projectors, some televisions, um, and certainly lots of third-party um, computer monitors. The Lightning um, Digital AV adapter is for HDMI. The advantage of HDMI is it carries both audio and video, whereas the VGA just carries video. So you'll also have to have a uh, 3.5 millimeter audio cable that will connect to whatever um, device you want to play audio through. And then if you have the 30 pin connector, you can get the Apple VGA adapter for th uh, for $29 and, or the HDMI model, which is the digital AV adapter. And that one is uh, 39 bucks. But again, wherever you go, take the adapters you need. Don't trust that the people on the other end are going to have them because too often this technology is new to them and they don't have it. I, uh, <clears throat> I really agree with that advice. And uh, I would like to supplement it with, with one other suggestion. Um, if you are... If you were going someplace, you're, you're taking your, your Mac with you as well as your iPad to give a presentation. There's a, a Mac app called Reflector that you can, there are actually a few like this, but the one I use is called Reflector, that basically turns your Mac into an AirPlay receiver. So you could hook up your Mac to a projector and then use AirPlay to uh, show whatever is on your iPad screen. And the one thing I like better about doing that than hooking up a, a, a projector directly to the iPad is that I can walk around while I'm giving a presentation without worrying that a cable will fall out. Uh, I've had this happen during presentations and it's really, really irritating. So if, if you have a, a Mac available and you can run Reflector on it, um, that does give you a little bit more uh, mobility. And I will supplement your supplement. Uh, <laughs> we use AirServer, but it's the same idea. Um, and we use that for video capture. So when we are doing a Macworld video that has um, iOS-based tips on it, that's how we capture the screen. We use we capture on the Mac that is being used as an AirPlay capture device, and then you use your regular uh, video capture software for that. The one giveaway is that in the menu bar, there's a little icon indicating that it's in AirPlay mode. But other than that, it's a terrific way to, to video capture. I wish Apple provided a direct way to do it on the device. You could do it on jailbroken devices, but um, but it's not a bad workaround because the latency isn't bad, either whether reflector or air server. Uh, it looks like you're actually operating the thing, which is great. I wish they showed the taps too. That would be another great thing. Yes, as, as you and I have both uh, <laughs> had, to, held, had to jailbreak an iPad specifically for that reason. Yeah, right. This seems like a great moment to mention uh, ways to display PowerPoint presentations with your iPad, which is something I think a lot of people have to do. Maybe they have to use PowerPoint at their office, but they would like to be able to show those using their iPad. 
one thing that we usually recommend is Brain Shark's free Slide Shark app. And this is a, a great little app. It doesn't allow you to edit the presentation on your iPad, but it does preserve a lot of the major PowerPoint features. So you can review a presentation when you're on the go, or you can share the PowerPoint pres presentation with others uh, using this app. Excellent. Um, let's do a couple more tips and then wrap it up. So, Ren, you have anything else? Uh, the only one I have is just on annotating PDFs. Uh, again, we use PDFs kind of as our last look of our ebook pages uh, before they go to final production. And sometimes we have to mark things up and, you know, add little comments, add notes that get fixed right, a, right at the end of the line. And I really like uh, Goodreader for that. I think that that's a, it's an excellent little, it's only about 99 cents, I think. Oh, no, it's $5 for the iPad app, I believe. Um, but that Goodreader is great. PDF Pen is a little more expensive, but is also fantastic. And you can digitally sign documents with PDF Pen, uh, which I quite like. So uh, that's that's my my last iPad business tip. Okay. Oh, Joe, you know you mentioned Goodreader as a, as one of the portal apps. So why don't we talk a little bit about portal apps? Sure. So so plus one to Goodreader and PDF Pen. Uh, I I think everybody should have both of those apps uh, installed on their iPad. The thing about Goodreader is I, I refer to this as, as a portal app. There are a bunch of others that sort of fall into that category, Documents by Riedel, which used to be called Real Docs, is another one. Um, what, the reason I use that term is that these are, these are apps that besides letting you display and annotate PDFs and things, uh, connect to a bunch of different cloud services. So if you, have, if you use not only Dropbox, but SugarSync and uh, you know, Box and SkyDrive and you know, Google Drive and all the rest of them, um, or, or any combination of the above, it's nice to be able to have one app you can go to that will connect to all those different places, wherever you might have stored or backed up a certain kind of uh, document, and be able to fetch it and, you know, manage files on your iPad because there's, there's no system-wide way that you can do that natively, and then, you know, send it to a different app or uh, upload it to a different cloud service. Um, I think it's really handy to have uh, have something like Goodreader that, in addition to its native skills, can can sort of serve as a as a switching station for uh, for all your other files. Okay, um, and Dan, uh, mine's sort of a general productivity task or tip, and I, I think this comes up because, I, as I mentioned earlier, it's the iPad is very much a monotasking device. Now, you know, starting with, I think I was five, we started getting, you know, little banner notifications that could pop up and stuff. Uh, and those are, you know, great and handy when you when you're don't want to be, you know, shifting out of your, your app. But I think sometimes really, you know, you want to concentrate on something and they're very distracting because you see that little message pop up at the top. And you're like, oh, maybe I'll just check that really quick. Or, oh, I want to see what's going on on Twitter. Um, and so my, my tip for notifications is to enable the do not disturb feature while you're while you're working, especially for a lot of us while we're writing, you know, that kind of breaks our concentration and takes us out of it. So you can just go into the settings app and flip on do not disturb. Just remember to turn it off again when you're done. I mean, there are some other options too. You can turn off notifications uh, for specific apps, for example, if you don't want to be bothered by updates from your Twitter app. Um, you can, in some cases, you can, you can more finely grained control that. Like, I don't want to see, you know, hundreds of Twitter messages pop up, but you know, if I need to get this, this priority iMessage, for example, then I want that to come through. Um, and then the, the extreme answer for me is always, well, if you could always just uninstall your Twitter app or, <laughs> or several of your other apps, if you really want to concentrate on what you're doing. Okay, and I'm going to wrap up uh, and talk a little bit about deployment. And if uh, anybody has any thoughts about this, feel free to pipe in. When I talk to business people about the um, iPad and iOS devices in business, a lot of a lot of them jump in, and, and particularly people in IT, and saying, well, look, yes, it would be great if we all had iPads, but I have a business and I need to distribute 200 of these devices, and I need to get the same apps on them. I need to be able to control them remotely. What options does Apple provide to me? And Apple actually does provide them. Uh, through a couple of different steps. One is something called the Apple Volume Purchase Program. And this allows you to purchase applications in bulk. You don't get a discount, but at least you get, you can buy a certain number of licenses. So you can buy 200 licenses if you want. And they have one for education and they have another one for business. 
Um, it comes to you in a spreadsheet format, which you use uh, using Apple's Configurator, which is a free application for the Mac. I don't know if there's a PC solution to this or not. Um, but using this, you can manage uh, or you can configure up to 30 devices at a time. They're plugged in through USB. You can manage far more, but you can only configure 30 at a time. Uh, once you've got this set up, it allows you to bulk install applications, uh, do iOS updates. You can control what people can and cannot do with their devices. And so there's that one solution, and that's an Apple-centric solution. The other one is that Apple also supports uh, MDM servers, which is um, mobile device management service, uh, servers. In order to do that, you have to get a, a certificate from Apple installed in MDM, and this is really farther uh, high-level IT stuff. But people who work in IT and do deployment will understand how this works because it's not terribly different than using Android or, um, or BlackBerry. Um, so just know there is a solution out there. It takes some reading to understand what's going on there. But if you're in a school or if you're in a business, this is possible. And if anybody else has any deployment issues to discuss, I'd be happy to hear them. And we'll take that as, no, Chris, you covered that brilliantly. Nicely done. Brilliant. Nothing Nicely. more to say. No, because a lot of people do ask me that now because I, I do these business presentations. And, and the first time I was asked, I said, uh... Well, I don't know. You've got iTunes, right? Well, it turns out, uh, particularly among education, educators are increasingly doing this because there are these programs in place where schools are encouraged to use mobile devices. And um, and Apple is getting up to speed on it. So um, just know that that option is out there. So I would like to thank my guest, Serenity Caldwell. Thank you very much. Dan Morin. Thanks, Chris. Joe Kissel. Thank you. Charlie McFarland. Great to be here. And once again, the plug is that the um, iPad office is at the iBook store. It is for iPad only, and it's available for the amazing low, low price of just $3.99, which saves you an entire penny off of $4. So thanks, everyone, for being here. And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld Podcast. I'd like to thank Serenity Caldwell, Dan Morin, Charlie McFarland, Joe Kissel, and of course you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-967-3622. Also be sure to check out Play This, the digital entertainment podcast produced by our friends at TechHive. If you like technology and the entertainment it helps provide, you'll love Play This. Available on iTunes everywhere. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, macOS, iOS, and technology news, views, and information at macworld.com. See you around.